Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with your co-host, the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice, and his wife, Jeannie. Michael and Jeannie share with you the wisdom of the ancient Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. They offer tools and support five days a week. They will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love. In Aramaic, Rachma. Michael is the author of Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.whyagain.com. And now your co-host, The Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice. To the brightness within you and the truth that is rooted within me. I guess you could hear me better if I unmute. So... Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. And I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. Dr. Tim Hayes can't be with us today, but we welcome you to the show. Today is Friday, March the 11th, 2016. And our call-in number is 646-200-4169. Press 1, and that puts you in queue to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and your questions because that makes this your show. We have a topic already on the table from yesterday, but first, let's welcome Michael. Thank you, dear heart. And I think I'm going to leave that topic off the table for today since Tim was an integral part of it. And uh, we'll save it for Monday and uh, continue that conversation so that uh, Tim can be a part of it. And so I'm going to take the show in a little different direction today and look at the lens through which we see the world according to the ancient Aramaic. And, you know, there are so many aspects of the first century Aramaic teachings of the man named Yeshua. And if you're new to the show, Yeshua is the actual name of the man that people call Jesus. His name was not Jesus. It was not Jesus, which is Hail Zeus. That was the name given to them in the Greco-Roman, given to him, pardon me, in the Greco-Roman Empire to make him acceptable. Everybody knew Zeus, so it became basically Hail Zeus. And uh, that was how they introduced the man named Yeshua to make him acceptable in that um region of the world he, they were gods that was a god that was well known and so this became something acceptable but i think in the long haul there are going to be a lot of people disappointed who are calling on a name that isn't his name and they think the name has some magic to it but what we want to do with this work is get down to the real truth of what he taught and how what he taught can impact our lives and the the core of the teaching just has so many powerful, relevant uh, understandings that are pretty much decimated in the Greek translations. So the one I'd like to focus on today is that of perception. And, you know, we've talked about it several times in looking at the, uh, in the ancient teachings, uh, perception was called an appearance, and we were warned to be careful of judging by appearances. And we know now that the mind is continuously generating a set of pictures that convinces that we're looking at something outside of us, when in fact, we're looking at pictures generated inside of us. And those pictures are kind of painted on the inside of our eyeballs, and they emanate an energy that 
is consistent with the energy that those perceptions are made out of. And that energy that emanates from us impacts everybody around us. So we hear the Greek translation of a particular passage that says, the eye is the lamp of the soul. If the light for you is darkness, how deep will your darkness become? And I defy anyone who hasn't got access to the Aramaic meanings of those words to make sense of that. You know, the eye is a lamp. And if the light is darkness, doesn't make any sense. If Yeshua sat and listened to people speaking from that, uh, about that idea from a Greek perspective, he would, I think, quite readily agree that that was all Greek to him. It didn't have doesn't bear much resemblance. It actually decimates what he was trying to teach us. And so what, in essence, if you go to the Aramaic, he's saying is that the perceptual output of your mind, which he calls the eye in, that, in the Greek translation, that's how it's been translated, is not the lamp of the soul, but an Aramaic would say, is the light for your earthly life. You know, imagine that you're standing in the doorway of Mammoth Cave, and we have told you that somewhere in the cave there's a bag, with a, a clear plastic bag with a million dollars worth of diamonds in it. And if you can find the bag with a million dollars worth of diamonds and get out of the cave alive, they're yours. And we're going to give you a pen light. So here you are in Mammoth Cave, and you can see one very, very tiny part of the cave at a time. Let's give you a super powerful pen light. It has a beam that's about a half inch in diameter. And so with that half inch diameter beam, you can see just the slightest fragment of the cave at a time. Let's imagine that you stand there, and, and so that light beam would be, in the context of this conversation, perception. And so here's Jesus was saying, the eye, perception, is the light for your earthly life. So here I am standing on the edge of Mammoth Cave with my pen light, and I'm looking for this bag of diamonds. Now, I might spend 10 hours seeing one fragment of the cave at a time before I finally catch the sparkle of the diamonds. And of course, once I've caught the sparkle with this cave being so huge, I'm going to hold my light on the sparkle so that I can get there and get a hold of those diamonds. I'm not going to dare to remove it because how would I ever find it again? And I don't use the, the light to show me the 30-foot pit that's in front of me. I don't get out of the cave alive. So here's what Yeshua was explaining. Your perceptual mind is meant to be a guide to take you through your earthly life. Now, there's some interesting Harvard research that says that in a time frame where 10,000 brain cells fire, the maximum amount of data that goes into perception in a particular time frame, and that's a time frame where they can measure 10,000 units of electrical activity in the brain. It's about a 25th of a second. What they're telling us is that the max amount of data that goes into perception, goes into awareness at that moment, is 9 bits. So 9 bits out of 10,000 brain cells firing. And in that same time frame, it's been estimated that from the actual world, that would be from the cave in our analogy, there are approximately 20 trillion bits of data available. So imagine you got a cave, make this an analogy for your mind, that's got 20 trillion bits of data, 10,000 bits are firing, you get to see nine bits, a tiny fragment of the cave at a time. So Yeshua is telling you that your perception is fragile and you've got to use it properly in order to make your way through life, through this 20 trillion bit cave and so he's sharing that if the light now listen to the greek translation for the next idea here if the light for you is darkness then how deep will your darkness become now i don't care how you cut it 
if the light for you is darkness, that just makes no sense. How can light be darkness? Let's go to the Aramaic and see what he was saying before the Greeks decimated it. He says, your perception is meant to be the light or the guide for your earthly life. If the guide you follow, perception, is fueled by darkness, that is, if your perceptual mind is being run by hostility or fear, then he says, how deep will your darkness become? And so I'd invite anybody to look at, have you ever destroyed a relationship, a business, or done damage to things in your life? You know, maybe kicked the door in on the car? What state were you in when you did those kinds of behaviors? It was always darkness. Whenever we ask, and we've asked this question of tens of tens of thousands of people all over the globe, what were you feeling when you did what you regretted? And the answer is always darkness. Because when our perception, when our guidance system is plugged into hostility or fear, into darkness, then we simply draw ourselves into, we do behaviors based on that errant perception that draw us into more darkness. And our lives get crazy when you do behaviors based in hostility or fear. If you let the guide for your life be darkness, hostility or fear, then you're in trouble. And so what we see with that passage out of the ancient Aramaic is that Yeshua is telling you how to keep perception, the guide or the light for your journey through this 20 trillion bit world, turned on and working properly. It's got nothing to do with neighbor or the creator. You know, the, you listen to the passage where they ask Yeshua, what's most important in the law? And it sounds like some kind of religious idea. You're supposed to love your neighbor. You're supposed to love God as you love yourself. No resemblance to what Yeshua said in Aramaic. Just the slightest shadow of a resemblance. So here's what he says is the first law. Keep your perception plugged into love. Rachma is the word. When you think of the creator, so whenever the creator is your object of attention, you want to make sure that your mind is being fueled by love. And then whenever your neighbor is the object of your attention, in the Aramaic, the word neighbor is a mental word. It's not a physical word. So he's saying, whenever you think of anyone, make sure your mind is connected to love. Rachma. And then what will happen is your perception will be filled with light, as your life will be filled with light, and you will get the highest and best guidance you can possibly get from your perceptual mind, which is meant to guide you through your earthly life. And when you do that, if you listen to the third part of that directive, which says, Rachma, for the creator, for neighbor, the Greeks tell us, it says, love the creator, love neighbor as yourself, not what it says in Aramaic. It says, keep Rachma active, keep your lights on when you think of neighbor or creator. And by so doing, you will maintain your human life. So it's not love your neighbor as yourself. It's here's how you maintain your human life. And if you take a look around, I posted a thing on Facebook yesterday talking about politics. It's like, what if the first requirement for every politician where they had was that they had to keep their minds connected to love. They had to have love in their minds. How different would the political discourse be? How different would the rhetoric that's coming out of some of these mouths that are supposedly vying to take over leadership of the world? You look at the rage, the guilt, the fear, the pain, the trauma in these people's words. Just listen to their words. How does that become the guide for the free world? We're going to build walls 20 feet tall. We're going to keep those. I mean, how bizarre does it get when a mind is based in hostility or fear? How deep does our darkness become? 
What if our global leaders were required to have a human life first, were required to follow the first law, keep their minds connected to love, so every word that came out of their minds, out of their mouths, pardon me, were connected to and supported by love? How different would the discourse be? Could we be killing each other? Could we be going to war? Could there be, and I don't remember what the number is, but a huge number of children in America where we dump billions of pounds of food every year, could there be a child go to bed hungry? And there are hundreds of thousands that go to bed hungry in this country every day. How is that possible in a world guided by and connected to love? It's not. But we've ignored this teaching and we look at people who are in their hostility and fear and they diss the man named Yeshua as though he's some one. You know, many of them say, well, no such person ever existed. Well, let's go along the line of the thesis that no such person ever existed. So what? Follow the teaching and you find genius, and you find a way to live a life that's based in peace and caring, and you get to maintain your human life. Directive about Rachma for neighbor, for creator, is a way to keep your own perceptual mind on track, to keep your lights turned on, to keep your mind working properly. It has nothing to do with neighbor or creator, except as far as their objects of attention, what he's saying is, you've got to keep your mind plugged into a proper power supply. Now, you look at how many people, when the stress is up and the chips are down, look at their child. This child that came in that was so wanted and so cherished. And they're in hostility. And they point that hostility at the child and reach out with a slapping hand or a fist or a vicious word, or a vicious look. How does that happen? Except that we don't know how to operate our own minds. And you listen to these people who are lost in their hostility and fear, and they think this guy never existed, and if he did, so what? It means nothing. That it's all just some kind of, of um, religious hogwash or something. If you actually go back to the Aramaic Yeshua, you will find the most brilliant set of instructions for how to live an actual human life that have ever come to the face of planet Earth. And if you come to comprehend that work that he suggested, then your life will turn around in ways you can't imagine. I, I just happened to have somebody cross my mind that uh, did some of her work back, oh, five, six, seven years ago. And someone who'd been in a lot of trauma and turmoil in relationships and in their work life. And they just happened to pop into my mind. And I try to keep contact with as many people as I can that do this work. But with the size the project has become and the global work that's being done, that's kind of hard to do. But every once in a while, someone will cross my mind and I'll pick up the phone and this young lady said, well, you know, you know, my life had been through so much pain and trauma, and I did one intensive with you, and I sort of did the work for a little while, and then it kind of fell away. But I look back now, and that was a turning point in my life. Like, my whole life has turned around. I had lost my job. There was a lot of trauma in my life with my children. And, I mean, my life was a mess. And she's like, that was a turning point. And, gee, I don't have the kind of job I had back then, so I'm not making nearly as much money. But I don't have the stress in my life. I have fun with my kids. My life is alive. And we hear that so often from so many people. And that's because of the practical application of the understanding out of the first century Aramaic that Yeshua gave in how to run your mind, how to run your body, how to run your relationships, how to run your finances, how to run the whole game. And so we're delighted that you're here to participate in this conversation, to question these ideas, and to acquire a deeper understanding. So our reason for doing this show every day is to create a space of support for every mind, heart, and being on the planet to really have access 
to the how to live in harmony with the way the eternal forces of the universe work. The eternal forces in the universe, you know, it's kind of like there's this thing called the law of gravity. The law of gravity works the way it works, whether you like it, whether you don't. You can protest it. You can march against it. You can rail against it. You can shoot at it. The law of gravity is going to keep working the way it works. You can say, I'm not going to play with gravity anymore. I'm going to make it work the way I want it to. Tomorrow morning when I wake up, my feet are going to go to the ceiling instead of the floor. I don't care what you think or what you say. The law of gravity is going to work tomorrow. And you don't have any choice about it. If you fall out of harmony with it, you are going to get bumped and bruised and broken. So it is with all of the eternal forces in the universe. Gravity is just one of them that we know very, very well. You know, we get to fly heavier than air machines, not by violating the law of gravity, but by understanding and harmonizing with it. When we understand and harmonize with these eternal forces and live in conscious relationship with them, Life goes well. When we don't know how they work, and this is in essence, if you go back, the word law applies to not a set of rules, the the act of the superior that says you better do this or I'm going to get you, as many people have thought of about the creator or have been trained to think and therefore reject the creator's um, instruction set. But rather, the instruction set is, here's how the eternal force, here's how gravity works, folks. You know, there's a cliff over there. If you step over the edge, you'll go down. That's all. This is how it works. That's called the law of gravity. If you know how it works, you don't collide with it. If you don't know how it works, you come into avoidable collision and you get broken. Everything Yeshua taught was how to harmonize with these eternal forces and live in conscious relationship with them. So we're here to support the understanding of that. And, of course, to, to, to find the parts of our own minds that are out of harmony with law, to bring them forward for forgiveness. And the key process there of forgiveness is nothing to do with me letting you off the hook because I fell out of harmony with law and I'm hurting. But it's rather the tool for removing the parts of me that are out of harmony with the way the eternal forces operate and coming back into full harmony, which means and guarantees that life goes well. So that's what we're here to do and to support you with. And if we can assist you in any way, shape, or form in learning those tools and bring them into activity in your life, then that's what we're here for. And if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you on our control panel, if you pick up the phone and call 646-200-4169, you'll be listening to the show live on the radio or on your phone. And if you have a question and you push one, that will put a little hand up in the control. Jeannie will know you have a question for us. Sweetheart, do we have anybody with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room? Well, Camille was asking in the uh, chat room. She said she's just now kind of getting caught up from being at the Laws of Living and her two weeks absence in her business and that right. uh, several of the people from the intensive are staying connected by email and phone and that it's great support. And uh, on the phone, there's nobody that has their hand up. I have been also texting with uh, Mitzi. You know, yesterday Rex had asked for prayer for their um, new grandson who's on the way. And after 30 right. hours of labor the baby's heart rate dropped significantly, and so they have actually taken them into surgery. So continue to hold them Mm. in the prayer. I told her to keep us informed and let us know when the little one gets here. So they've had some So they're just going to do a C-section, then I take it? Yeah, that's what it sounds like. Mm. Well, we certainly hold that the surgeon's mind and heart and hands are perfectly guided and that mama and baby are well, and uh, papa's in a state of connectedness to love and holding the space for mama and baby. And, of course, for uh, grandma and grandpa to be doing the same. We are here to uphold and to lift you guys up and, and hold the space for you. And that that little one comes in alive and well and healthy and kicking and ready to rock and roll through life. Yay. Yay. So 646-200-4169 
if any of that that Michael talked about has resonated anything as far as you know, keeping your lights on and what that looks like. Um, Camille did have a question in the chat room as far as uh, could uh, there be kind of a definition given to some of the laws that we studied. Um, said she understood the law of cause and effect that every action or inaction produces a specific result. And I told her, you know, that I'd have to go back and actually look in my book, but that Anytime one of the laws was mentioned in the chorus, that that section was actually about that law. And so I don't know if you have anything else that you want to uh, add to that. Well, you know, kings have errantly and sometimes, sadly, with malice, put the pen to the paper and written down a regulation that they have fraudulently called a law and said, you better know my laws and obey them or I'm going to get you. I'm going to send a man with a big gun to haul you to my prison and I will punish you if you do not follow my rules and regulations. But when the creator set up the world, at least according to the Aramaic, as opposed to, I am the authority and I demand obedience, which many people have put that idea into God's mouth, there's no such thing, and it's not about, give me the rules I need to follow. You know, if you move into a kingdom uh, of this earth, the king will say, here's the rule book, or maybe he won't. Maybe you won't find out until his sin catcher, they're called police, catches you doing something. <coughs> Excuse me. You won't find out what that so-called rule is. And it's been given what in legal terms is called the color of law. So men have written these rules and so whenever I talk about laws of living, people will say, well, just give me a set of the rules and let me read them and then I'll know what they are and then I'll be able to obey them. Not, not the game. That's not the game with the, with the original idea of laws of living. The idea of laws of living is to come into harmony with and relationship with those eternal forces. And as you live in relationship with those eternal forces, it's not about following a set of rules. You know, as with gravity, when I understand gravity, you know, I know that if I want to fly a heavier-than-air machine, that I have to come up with enough propulsion to overcome the gravity force so my airplane will fly. But it's not so much obeying a rule as coming into proper relationship with those eternal forces. So there is not a rule book, so to speak. There is a body of work to be done. And if you, you look at what we do, for instance, in laws of living, is it's all about process work. It's all about what is there in me that does not understand and harmonize with the way the eternal forces move? What is there in me that blocks me from comprehending that? What do I need to remove or forgive for me so that I can be in relationship with those eternal forces? So it isn't about, you know, give me a set of rules I can follow and then it will all be handled. It's about living in conscious relationship with those eternal forces. So it's a, a whole different game than what the kings have brainwashed into believing laws are. Laws are not rules of a superior. There is no superior called the creator who said, here's my rule book and you better do it the way I said to do it, or I'm going to get you. I'm gonna, if you violate my laws, I'm going to create a fiery place to take you. Total, complete fraud. The word hell, if you go back into the Aramaic, is the Gehenna. The Gehenna was a fiery place. It was a garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. And it was always on fire because that's how they burned the garbage. If someone didn't have the financial wherewithal, a pauper uh, died, they would send them to the Gehenna to be burned. 
And so it became a metaphor for threatening someone because it was this fiery place. But it's a total projection of men's minds to think that love has created a fiery place for somebody to burn forever. That's all a total, complete fabrication. And I'm just reporting the news. You know, if you, if you go back and check the facts, the fact is the words that became hell in the, to the Greeks and the whole hellfire thing was all a fabrication that came along with Dante, is, is it was the Gehenna. It was, it was that place where everything that no longer served in the society was burned up and destroyed. And it was used as a threat with little kids. Well, tent use of the Gehenna. And so they created a, a place like that for big people. Love never created such a place. The creator never created such a place. The creator has no concept, according to the Aramaic, no concept of punishing anyone for breaking a law. Number one, in the Aramaic sense, you can't break a law. You either live in harmony with the eternal forces or you live out of harmony with them. If you live out of harmony with them, then you come into collision with them. If you come into collision with them, you will be damaged. The law won't be broken, but you will be damaged. And, of course, people, as usual, have to find somebody to blame. So it's like, oh, well, I guess God did it to us. Look at that. It's, it's all just totally out of context and men have projected their thoughts into this whole process. What we're looking to do is to free people from that fear based teaching. You go back to Yeshua and the whole idea of law and you don't hear anything about threat. You hear, here's how the energy system works. Here's how you harmonize with it. I come to bring you life and bring it more abundantly. He says, and yes, there is a reference to the Gehenna as it was used as a metaphor for punishment because men punished, kings punished. It had been going on a long time before Yeshua showed up that kings were punishing people for breaking their rules. And so it became just kind of a natural projection leap to say, well, I guess that's what the creator does too, so we'll blame the creator for that. It's a total misunderstanding. And, yes, if we fall out of the law, out of harmony with the law of gravity, we're going to be hurt by avoidable collision with that law. The law will sustain no fracture. In the sense of the eternal forces, you can't break one. But you can get broken in avoidable collision with them. And the idea is to come into harmony with them so that... understanding and living in harmony your life flows easily because you understand how to work with these eternal forces and to live within them instead of trying to step outside of them so that would be my uh, kind of long form reply to uh, give me a set of rules it isn't about a set of rules it's about how to come into harmony with the eternal forces around you and when you do so you're empowered go ahead so how how would you explain to someone who did you know like that they had not been in their class the difference between um the laws of man and the rules of the superior in simple terms um i understand everything that you just said and that's awesome but they want to know like if if the person doesn't really see a difference between the two? Mm. They've been brainwashed. It, then I would say what you yeah. do, and it isn't about the rules of the superior. The superior didn't make up any rules for us to follow. The creator, you know, kings play like superiors, and they make up rules for us to follow and, and do the disservice of calling those things laws. They're not laws. They're men's rules and ordinances. The creator didn't make up a set of rules for us to follow. The creator created a universe out of eternal forces, and the eternal forces simply operate. If we understand them and we harmonize with them, then 
we work easily and well within them and they serve us like the law of gravity i can fly an airplane because i understand gravity and i harmonize with it but there's no you know great god of gravity that says if you step off the cliff i'm going to break your bones law happens it's not about rules and kings have have brainwashed into thinking us into thinking it's about rules because the king wants you to follow his rules so that he can pick your pocket as deeply as possible and take everything that he can for himself you go back and read samuel 8 1 and that whole thing where you know israel doesn't doesn't function under a human king and samuel is a judge in israel and samuel explains to people just exactly what's going to happen if they want to go for an earthly king. And you look at and read Samuel 8, 1, and, and, and it's everything that's happening in the world today because we've chosen to function under the rules of a superior rather than to live in harmony with the eternal forces. And so it's about coming into relationship. It's not about reading and understanding a set of rules. And I'm just, as we're speaking, putting into my uh, computer here, Samuel 8.1, and let's just listen to what the book of Samuel says. If you stop harmonizing with the eternal forces and you want to live under a king. So so here's the explanation, Samuel 8.1. When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as Israel's leaders. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abjah. And when they served at Beersheba, and his sons did not follow his ways, they turned aside after dishonest gain and accepted bribes and perverted justice. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, and they said, You are old, and your sons walk not in your ways. Now appoint us a king to lead us, such as all the other nations have. When they said that, give us a king, Samuel was displeased. So he went to the creator and said, listen. And the creator replies to him when Samuel says, you know, what's the deal here? What do I do? And the creator says to, to Samuel, listen to the people and what they're saying to you. It is not you they've rejected, but it is me. As they have done for the day I brought them up out of Egypt, and this day forsaking me to serve other gods, that is to have graven images in their minds that instructed them how to live their lives, they lost relationship with the eternal forces that came from the creator. So the creator then says to Samuel, so listen to them, and if that's what they want, give them a king. But tell them what the king will claim as his rights. And so here's what he tells the people. And you just take a look at what's going on. I mean, look at King Obama right now and what's happening. Look at King Georgie and what was pulled under his his reign when he lied to us and sent us into the Middle East and, and had us slaughtering people by the by the tens of thousands in vengeance. But just listen to what, this goes back, what, 3,000 years ago. So the creator says to Samuel, this is what the king who will reign over you will claim as his rights. He will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and his horses, and they will run in front of his chariots. Some will be assigned to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow the ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equipment for chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. You'll notice we live in a world where rare is the family where mom can actually stay home and be a mom and raise her children. She's got to go out to work because the king is taking so much off the top that she can't even afford to stay home and raise her children anymore. Of course, that's been twisted into women's lib. Well, women are liberated now. They can go out and work and abandon their children. Excuse me. That's just the way it is. Children need a mother and a father in their home. How many fathers aren't home because they have to put so many hours in just to pay for a house 
a house that you know maybe our parents bought and paid fifteen thousand dollars for is now five hundred thousand dollars same exact physical building here we are decades later and somebody has to work their buns off to do that that's what happens when we're run by kings so he says he will have others to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots Daughters will be perfumers, cooks, and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and give them to his attendants. I mean, just take a look at Congress. You know, you have to live with Social Security. You have to accept what maybe, you know, the the latest uh, so-called health care plan is. Take a look at what Congress is getting. They don't, they're not governed by those things. They work for the king. They get Benefits beyond what you ever even conceived of. And health care you never even knew existed. It's exactly what was said 3,000 years ago would happen if you make a king to rule over you. He will take a tenth of your grain, we should be so lucky, and give it to his officials and attendants. Your male and female servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own use. He will take a tenth of your flocks and you will become his slaves. And when the, the phrase there is, is used, perverted justice, that's exactly what's happened. And you'll notice there's a whole sin system set up where the sin finders go out and catch people and take them to a, a, a court, and they they are charged. What does charge mean? That means it costs you money because the court is actually a bank, and they charge you, and you pray for relief, and you go to the guy with the black robe who's behind the bar. I mean, you just look at the whole thing, and it's a, a religious system that's designed to take money out of people's pockets and keep them, as Passage in Samuel says, as his slaves. And the whole idea of justice and law has been perverted. And so laws of living is about how to come out of the brainwash and get back to living in relationship with these eternal forces, knowing how they operate, knowing that our minds are designed to function out of love and knowing how to remove hostility and fear if that comes up, if that comes forward. And so as you do that, more and more your whole energy field comes into harmony with these eternal forces around you, and life goes better than when we're out of harmony with them. So it's, it's like we've been brainwashed into having one conversation so that we can hardly even logically think about the true conversation. It, the language has been so degraded that it's hard to even imagine wading our way back to a true conversation that is really about how these eternal forces operate and how to come into harmony with them. And if you look into those ancient teachings, there were, for instance, there were laws, that is, they understood how the eternal forces operate for how to grow food. Now, you know, as far back as the 1930s, they were telling Congress that the soils in America were demineralized. I see reports recently about how poor the nutritional content is in food. Do you know why that is? People haven't been living in harmony with the land laws. You, under the law, you allowed your field to grow crops for six years, and then you turned them over and you let it lie fallow for years so the field could recover. So you didn't grow the same crop in the same soil year after year, decade after decade, until there was nothing left in the soil to put in the food. You go back and you, you read that scriptural passage about this particular idea, and they, they, they talk about a man who has ten wives, and his ten wives will each lo- will bake him a loaf of bread. And he'll starve to death eating that bread. 
If you look at so many of the diseases of our culture, they've got to do with starvation. They've got to do with the fact that, well, people have these big, fat bellies that seem like they should be properly nourished. They're actually suffering from malnutrition because they've been eating food where the land laws have not been observed. The way the energy system of land works has not been observed, and so there are no nutrients in the food, and people are starving to death. And as they're starving to death, their body's saying, give me more food, give me more food, give me more food, give me more food, because there's no nutrients in the food. But it's it's hard to transfer into that conversation from a brainwash that's been going on for a couple of thousand years to put us in relationship with kings and fill kings' pockets instead. Does that kind of fit with your question, Jeannie, with what you were thinking, sweetie? Yes, and it also uh, raised another question, and that was um, about the law of acceptance. And we didn't talk about that, and so I did a quick search, and what, according to Google anyway, the law of acceptance goes along with what's considered divine order, and that is uh, accepting everyone just as they are, knowing that they are exactly how they're meant to be at that moment, and that everything is okay, and you're okay, and everything is right, and it's peace and serenity that comes with living in the law of acceptance and divine order and relaxing into that divine order instead of fighting it. And that's being used <laughs> in context of, you know, that somebody can do something that, let's say, is against the body, the law of the body, or against the law of nature, and saying, but that's okay because everything is the way that it's supposed to be, and so we just have to accept it. Well, I think that people who have chosen to go into gross violation of how the energy system works have created something they call the law of acceptance. There's no such law. Don't believe it. It's not true. Now, if I'm in pain or turmoil, I have work to do and I need to clean up my mind. I don't need to accept pain or turmoil as something that I should just live with and say, oh, well, it's perfect. And in a sense, it's perfect because it will give me the opportunity to do my work, but I don't need to set around and passively accept that. Someone shows up in my space, the law requires that I keep my connection to love. It doesn't mean if somebody comes into my home and cancel the thought, steals everything that I have, I just go, oh, well, I guess that's perfect. I'll accept it. There's no such law. That's a fraud. That's a story that those who have no concept of how it works and have stepped way out of harmony just say, well, you just kind of have to accept everything. No, I don't. No, I don't. Somebody walks into my house, cancel the thought with a gun. I don't need to accept that. Somebody comes into my home in front of my small children and swears and rages and screams at them. Excuse me, I don't have to accept that. That's not perfect. Now, if it brings up pain in me, it's perfect in that I have some work to do and I need to do my work, but there's no need or reason for me to accept that or any other behavior that is out of harmony with law. You know, I mean, applying that one, we just say with the other uh, law that I spoke about, the law of how fields and and, uh, and food is grown, well, we just accept that that's the way it is and you go to the grocery store and you eat nutrition-free food and you end up with all kinds of horrible degenerative diseases and you just accept it. Oh, well, excuse me. Thank you very much. I'm in the process of hooking up the sprouter. I'm not accepting that. You know, during the intensive, we grew, I don't even know, probably 150 pounds of sprouts over the process of the intensive. And we're back here at uh, at the uh, home we've rented in Ellington. I'm not going to just accept that I have to go to the grocery store and eat nutrition-free food. If I accept that, I'm stupid. I'm just plain stupid to accept that. Cancel the thought. I'm going to take into my hands 
what I can do to grow food with nutrition in it so that every cell in my body is properly nourished and doesn't have to become distorted by garbage food, by chemicals, by toxins, by organisms that are now put into food to develop their own uh, pesticides. You know, there, there actually there was some research done up in Canada and, uh, you know, they tell us that these genetic modifications where this plant grows its own uh, pesticide inside of the the, the food and, and therefore the bugs won't eat it. Well, they're showing that we've got babies, newborn babies, who have pesticides developing within their bodies. These genes have transferred. I don't have to accept that. If I accept that, I'm crazy. I need to understand how this energy system works, and I need to stand up for a proper integration of how this energy system works. And people who don't end up, don't do that, end up becoming slaves and they become destroyed. No, I'm not going to buy that law of acceptance. It's a great story for people who've chosen to step out of harmony and say, oh, well, you just have to accept it now. If you're one who's out of harmony with the law, am I required to do anything? Yes. I'm required to keep a condition of love in my mind. I'm required to maintain my contact with the eternal forces. But do I have to accept your behavior and go along with it? No, thank you very much. I'll pass. I won't accept it, and I choose not to support it. Does that mean I have to make you bad or wrong, or is it my business that you're doing it? No, it's not my business. You, you've got the right to choose to do whatever you choose to do. I might try to inform you of, hey, you might want to look at here's how the energy system works because it's going to lead to a pretty tragic end if you don't understand how it works. You know, the person who takes my, my child's hand and leads them over the cliff, I don't need to accept that. Now, if they choose to jump over the cliff, hey, that's your business, buddy but I'm not accepting that you're going to take my child's hand and force them over the cliff with you. And in the meantime, I'll probably tell you a little bit about cliffs and how gravity works, and you might want to think about that a second time. So that would be my take. Now, there is a place for acceptance. That is, if I'm in hostility or fear, then I'm going to stop long enough to be with what is and clean up my mind, and then I'm going to stand up and speak up about what is not acceptable. If the Germans had stood up to Hitler back in the 1940s and said, no, this is out of harmony with law, rather than accepting his viciousness and his violence and his slaughtering techniques, then we wouldn't have the suffering and we'd have millions of more genius people in our world today. I don't have to accept that. Big mistake. Okay. And we're getting close on... uh... We've got seven minutes. So there's one other comment, and then I did get a text that the mama and baby are out, and they're both recovering well and snuggling, and um, they haven't weighed him or measured him or done any of that stuff yet, so they don't know, but their mom and baby are fine. Um, second Fabulous. Thing is, well, I'm sure with Mitzi there, I, I'm sure, just one second, I'm sure that with Mitzi's there, she's going to insist before they take the baby and do all their medical stuff that they get to connect with mama and that they get to really be skin to skin for health reasons. And there's a, a lot of uh, understanding about that. And, and those who chose not to accept medical practice have changed that whole dynamic that was very destructive to children. So go ahead. Excuse me, sweetie. Oh, that's okay. So two more questions came. Well, really one more question, but it's kind of two parts about law. That's cool that this opened up such an awesome discussion today. But um, it was talking about the laws of the land holding and about the rotation of the crops and the, and I said, well, actually, that's two different laws. There's a law about the land holding that we're not supposed to hold or own more land than we can practically work or whatever. But that the law about um, rotating the crops is a different law, and that's about taking care of yes. the land itself. And they wanted to yes. know if by rotating crops, were they obeying that law or did it still have to lay fallow? And I said, it's supposed to lay fallow every seventh year for a whole year. And so right, in exactly. most cases, that law is not being honored. 
You know, I know my yes. family's farm, they do rotate crops. You know, one year they'll plant something in this field, and the next year they plant it and plant a different crop. And then every seven years, that field is left alone. And uh, so that would just be rotating fulfilling the, the law crops is the not land. honoring yes. that law. Right. Yes. And, and as far as the other one about land holding, what the law says in the ancient Aramaic is that you have the right to as much land as you can use, occupy, and possess. In other words, the person who's got a half a million acres cannot use, occupy, and possess a half a million acres. And how many people are dispossessed and living on the streets because they, the, the game of profit and money has come in and the king collecting his taxes and anybody who's got enough money can buy land out from. If you go back, it's do not buy or sell the land. And, you know, it's it's not a commercial uh, venture. If you turn a piece of land into a commercial venture, then you degrade the ability of people at the bottom end of the economic scale to live because the fact that they're not good at the money game, they're never going to be able to have that piece of land where they should be able to grow their food and to live well because it's going to belong to some land baron. So that's another whole discussion. We could spend days on that one. Another another law and, that we spoke about in Laws of Living. Okay, excuse me if you've got another aspect to that, Jeannie. No, that's okay. Go for it. I was just going to say the callers disappeared, so go ahead and continue. Okay. So so the other piece of it, you know, there's a, there's a, a thing about money and how to deal with money. And the way that it's spoken in the Aramaic, and actually this comes through accurately in the Greek translation, is have no unjust weights or measures in your bag. Now, if you look at the founding fathers, they had an understanding of that. And they provided in the Constitution that only gold or silver, whose price has been set by the by the Congress of the United States, will be lawful money in America. There is no lawful money in America. It's gone. There's no money in America. But people don't have a clue about that and that law and how it works. And so we have this worthless paper that we can – you know, create the or the powers that be can create the kings can create economic inflation and crashes, and right now the uh, the king is harvesting the king through his banking organizations is harvesting much land that many people have put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into, and they're just picking it up for nothing and taking it because this money law has been violated. No unjust weights or measures says substance for substance. The, the founding fathers understood that a, a, a king can't print paper and call it money under the law. He's got to have gold if he wants to buy something. And now the king's horses and the king's men print paper and own the most valuable property in the culture. And and each time that they inflate and deflate the prices, go see the movie uh, – the big short it tells the whole story about what happens with paper. The kings knew that's what they would be able to do, and the law says you can't do that. But when you fall out of harmony and you don't understand that, you got no brain cells for that, you say, oh, well, you know, i got this Federal Reserve note. This is a dollar. Well, how much time have we got, sweetie? We're down to about a minute. Oh, okay. Well, if we're down, we can't really go into a whole lot of of, uh, of explanation of that but if you if you go into a um uh, a place where they sell antique bills and look at it go back pre-19 i don't even know what year 1960 or so and you'll see that on a, a what's what today is called a dollar bill you'll see back then they printed pay to the bear on demand one dollar and there was a one on this and it looks like what we call a dollar today but you'll notice that's gone. Back then, there was substance. There was substance behind the money. And obviously, this little piece of paper wasn't a dollar because if you took it to the bank, the banker would give you, as the bearer, a dollar. And a dollar is 377 grains of silver. And people have, you know, your preachers should have been teaching you this from day one. This is all how it operates. But the preachers got their tax-free exemption in order not to teach people the law, but rather to teach them about theological systems that would take them out of harmony with the law and make them great subjects for the king. 
No, but there are hundreds of hours of conversation in that one. In the meantime, we'll just say thank you for joining us. I hope this has opened some some brain cells for you and some thinking. Create the best year yet of your eternal life. That's what we're here to support you doing. It's a great gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice and his wife, Jeannie, who present the internal Aramaic process of forgiveness. Michael and Jeannie are here every Monday through Friday on Earth Angels Radio. For more on Michael and Jeannie, please visit www.yagain.com. That's www.whyagain.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.